All right, we're in Matthew chapter 5, and we're at verse 9 this week. This is the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus sat down while the people stood on the hillside, and he began to tell the blessings. This is blessing number 7. Uh, read it out loud with me, would you? Blessed are... Stop, stop, start all over again. Uh, would you read it out loud with me? Say, yes, sir. Yes, sir. I can feel an attitude here. I, I can feel a couple of Marines, a couple of Navy, a couple of Coast Guard. Sir. Yeah, there's yeah, an Air Force. Yeah. Uh, ready? All together now. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Matthew 5, 9. Each Christmas we celebrate the coming of the one that we call the Prince of Peace. But we know that Christmas carol, but in despair I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong. Mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill towards men. We, we know there's no peace. In a world that we know about, most of what we know is not peace. It's more like conflict. It's everywhere. It's, and we're currently experiencing a handful of wars worldwide even now. There are four, five, six wars. Depends on how you count a war as a, or a skirmish or a border issue. But there are at least five wars going. Depends on who's counting, maybe closer to ten in our world right now. And this is a relatively peaceful period of history. That doesn't include border skirmishes, culture wars, internal and national conflict and internal conflicts that countries have on themselves. Some records will tell us that there have been upwards of 10 to 15,000 wars just since we've been recording history. And so it, 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 when we, we hear about things like World War I and, you know, and World War II, the war to end all wars, we keep thinking this is going to conclude. It's eventually going to go away. But even since World War II, we've had about 100 wars just small wars, but there's still wars. People still die. And there have been very few, not years, not decades, not years, not even weeks, there have been very few days the earth has known peace. So peace on earth, goodwill towards men. Very few days the earth has ever rotated around once where there's just been peace. And I know that is particularly true because I have children, and we would go on rides in the car, and she's breathing on me. And he, he looked at me. And he's got my stuff. And oh, I'm thinking, you know, and this is a Christian family. Who loves Jesus. And we have the donut man. And the, we have good Christian videos on. So help me. You're going to watch those stinking videos in the car. Don't make me pull over. So I know the war isn't just out there, right? The war is inside here. War is in my happy van. Yes. We bought, well, I'll tell you this, because I can tell you this. We bought, uh, when our kids were little, we bought the biggest van you could buy with the high top. Before, there was like flat screen TVs. And each of the kids got their own captain's seat. And by doing that, it saved my marriage. <laughs> Can I get an amen? amen? The only thing this van did not have was that glass wall that the police have behind there. That's the only, you know, shh, move it. Yes, what do you need? Okay, close it back again. That was the only thing that it didn't have that I wished I had gotten. We actually got rid of that van because it got like seven miles to the gallon, you know. But I didn't care. I did not care. Tires on that thing were like $1,500. But I didn't care. I didn't care because there was 
peace on earth, goodwill towards men, at least for a moment in my van. So you see, the war is not just out there, it is internal, and James actually talks about that. We have, we have issues of economic peace, religious peace, social peace, family peace, personal peace. It's also elusive, and then when you get to the point of peace, you can't stay there. It seems to wiggle away, or something else emerges, and when we find it, we can't seem to keep it. So then what we do is, as a nation, and we, you may even do this as a family, but as a nation, we send what we call peacekeeping forces. Okay, now stop for a moment. Is there, if ever there were an oxymoron, I mean, it's kind of like the uh, like Christian attorney. Is there such a thing? Yeah, oh. And, and I can feel the red dot on me right now from the attorneys. Oh, this is that's just bulletproof right here. I have to hide behind this. But you understand peacekeeping forces? Uh, what is that? If it's peace, why is that a force? Or that doesn't make sense to me. And you know what it does? It, 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 it does force peace or maintain peace. We, and you know why? That's why our peacekeeping forces actually bring bread and soup and clothing. And why is that? Because you have to win their heart. You can't just force peace and expect it to maintain. We know that in Eastern Europe even today, long after World War I and then World War II. We know if we don't put it back together, we're going to be in real trouble and that's the issue I want to talk about today is reconciliation, being a peacekeeper in all of life. Now, the meaning of peace is this. It's the absence of conflict, but it's with the presence of righteousness. So it's the absence of conflict, no conflict, but it's more than that. It's righteousness. If you have the absence of conflict, but you don't have righteousness, what you have is a seething thing underneath the skin. And that's what Eastern Europe was for years. It was ready to burst open at the moment there was an opportunity. But if you have righteousness, then it can stay on track with peace. True lasting peace is more than just the absence of conflict and strife. Righteousness has to prevail in order for this to be lasting. The kind of peace that is right and strong and true, it can maintain the course. The best we've been able to do as humans is a kind of a temporary truce. One person once defined peace as that glorious moment when the world stops to reload. Isn't that true? I mean, we have peace, but not for very long. And the peace that comes from heaven is first of all pure, and then and the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, and then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, good fruit, impartial, and sincere. It is peace-loving. It has a has a righteousness peace to it. It's considerate, submissive. That's the kind of peace that we need. Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Strive for full restoration. Encourage one another. Be of one mind. Live in peace. Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. Lasting peace is only possible when righteousness prevails. So we need to go to the righteous one, and he's the maker of the peace. And we're kind of tipping our hand already. The maker of the peace is God himself. For whatever you've learned, received, or heard from me, seen in me, you put into practice, Paul wrote to the church of Philippi. And he said, the God of peace, that's how he describes him. He's the God who will give you peace. He is the father over the prince of peace. He is the God of peace. He'll be with you. The good news begins with bad news. We have a conflicted heart, which leads to us to have a conflicted family, a conflicted community, a conflicted state, a conflicted country. 
because our hearts are conflicted. The only way to, to resolve that is to begin at the core of this thing, which is to find peace with God, because we're at distance with God and at odds with God. It's called sin. And when you come to terms with God, you will have peace with God, and it will only happen if it's righteous, see? And the righteous one, that's who Jesus is, he paid the way for that peace, see? And it's only possible for us to have peace because Jesus came, made the way clear, he made the road smooth so you could get to salvation and trust him. For he is our peace, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, who's made the two groups one. He's destroyed the barrier. He's knocked down the wall. You know what, don't raise your hand, but you know what a cold war is in a marriage? It's, it's just cold. Hello, hello. What's for dinner? What's for dinner? What are we going to do? It's just cold war. What Jesus does is he goes into that relationship and says, I can knock that wall down. He does that with you in relationships, in business, in community. He does it in every sphere of your life. He knocks down and, and creates a kind of peace and knocks out the hostility toward the other. So there isn't this revenge thing happening. For God was pleased to have fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things. Colossians 1. He reconciles all all things important to get whether on earth things in heaven making peace through his blood what jesus did was he offered his blood as the peace sacrifice he laid down his life to pave the way for us to be at peace with god if you trust christ as savior what you're going to find is that you can have a kind of peace even in the midst of a world that's very very chaotic now here's what i want to talk to you about today is that god gives to you and me this kind of he not only gives to us peace when you come to Christ, but, but beyond that now, he expects us to be peacemakers, peacekeepers, and he wants us to be reconcilers. He wrote to the church in Corinth, and can you go to the next slide, the, as messengers of peace, and he, and he wrote this, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, 18, 19. Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new cre creation, and this new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. So what you were prior to Christ, you're different than you were now that you've trusted Christ. You're a new creation. And this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry because we're new creations. Now he gives us the ministry of reconciliation. So not only does he save us, makes us new creations, now he makes us reconcilers. We are the ones who are helping people get right with God who reconciled us to us through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, verse 19, that God was reconciling the word to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and has committed to us the message, get that, of reconciliation. We are made right before God, and God calls us now to help people get right with God. So when we, when we announce righteousness, we're just helping people get right with God because we're... A, eventually going to be accountable to him that's tough work this is not an easy message to speak it's even harder even harder to live out helping people get right with god is tough work helping people get right with each other that's pretty tough too and we don't do this naturally so it's real easy to miss the mark on helping people get right so it's easy to miss the mark on reconciling people and what happens is at least three things we miss the mark on peace it'll block our fellowship with god if you claim that you love God but you hate your neighbor, God says you're just kidding yourself. It's, 
it's a faulty system within our own thinking. It blocks my fellowship with God. But not only that, guys in particular, watch 1 Peter 3. It blocks our prayers. It, if, if you say you love God and yet you don't, you, you, you are not sensitive to your wife's needs, you aren't paying attention to her, you know what? It'll hurt your prayers, your prayer life. But thirdly, not only that, it, it'll block your happiness. Because peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. You get not just righteousness back, but a harvest of it. So you, you want to be a messenger of this peace. You, you don't want to sow bitterness, anger, strife, resentment, because that's what you'll reap. What you want to sow is this kind of righteous kindness, peacemaking. So how do you reconcile? How do you get along with people? Or how do you help people get along? Have you ever been in a reconciliation uh, meeting or conference? Have you ever gone to a peace kind of an event and you're hoping to bring two groups of people together? It's tough work, tough work. Uh, in the next few minutes, what I want to do is I want to give to you a, a kind of a peacemaking plan. And this is a sevenfold thing just for you to work on. And here are some steps really to do it. When, you, when you're in conflict, number one, begin by talking to God about it. Don't go out and try to fix it. Go, go first of all to God. And it, you desire, you have, you, 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 you'll even go after it with a vengeance to kill. You covet, you can't have what you want. And you quarrel and you fight. You don't have because you do not ask God. So just ask God, is it, God, quiet my heart about this. I'm conflicted. Give me some wisdom about this. And then secondly, look at the problem honestly. Have you ever gone to go fix somebody only to find out they're ready to fix you? You ever had that? They're saying, I'm glad you brought that up because you got a real problem with that. I'm going, no, I'm here to talk to me about your problem, not about my problem. And Jesus actually talks about this in Matthew chapter 5, this same sermon two chapters later. He says, why do, you, why do you worry about the speck of sawdust in a guy's eye? And you're, not, you're not paying attention to the plank in your own eye. How can you say to your brother, let me get the speck out of your eye? You got a telephone pole in your own, you know? It's essentially what the text is saying. There's a plank in your own eye. He says, you're a hypocrite. Get the plank out of your own eye. Take care of yourself. And so one of the things that happens is when you're in a conflicted relationship, one of the things, a real benefit is, number one, it teaches us to pray. But number two, it teaches us to do some personal examination. Am I at fault at this, Lord? Is there some piece of this that I own? What's the issue in my own heart? What's going on in my own life? And if God has nothing else happen in your life but that, that's worth the conflict. Just that you grow closer to him, you pray a little more, and you, you clean up your own act. That's not a bad thing. But there's a third part about this. It's that you make the first move. You don't wait for the conflict to go away. Anybody ever thought, I'm hoping the conflict goes away? Pray it away, wish it away, deny it away. Anybody else? Yeah. It just happens. It's part of life. We just, it's the elephant in the room. We just don't want to admit to it. And then we say, okay, when he comes in and asks me what he can do to improve his life, I'll be sure to tell him. Well, he's never going to come in. He knows you're, you're, you're gunning for him. So he's not going to come in. You have to make the first move. It's, in fact, it's more important, I have to word this carefully, it's more important that you get right with your brother than it is that you show up for church every Sunday. Wow. Can you substantiate that one? I'm hoping too soon. In this same sermon, Matthew chapter 5, 
Therefore, if you're offering a gift at the altar and you remember that you, your brother or sister has something against you, hey, he just hates my guts. Quite frankly, I don't think much of his guts either. You know, and, but anyway, I go to, go into church, kind of make my offering, and you, re, you remember that? What's the text say? Jesus says, you leave your offering there and you go make it right with your brother, and then you come back and then you can keep worshiping. Now, Every preacher I've ever heard speak, preach on that message always makes an emphasis, leave your offering at church and then go get it right. Because not everybody who leaves makes it back. <laughs> That's why I say, you know, leave your offering and your car keys and anything else you want to leave in case you don't come back. The conflict doesn't resolve the way you thought it might. You understand, that's how important Jesus says this is. This is more important than you singing an extra chorus or having a little more fellowship. No, getting right with a brother is that important. That tells us not only is it important, but it's urgent that I get it right because I stop in the middle of worship and, and get it done, get it right. I've had moments like that in my own life and where I, I feel badly about something and the Lord prompts me on something and I say, well, you know what? The next time I see him, I'm going to get that right. You ever done this? But you know what happens? It's a month before I see them again. And by that time, it's kind of cold. It's kind of calloused over. It doesn't really matter. So what I have done personally is when that happens, I pick up the phone and call and just say, you know what, this may be way out of the blue, but you may think this, and, but I was a little quick on the dry. I, I, I snapped a little fast, and they go, oh, no, you, you talk that way all the time. Do I, do I really? Yeah. You know, I felt really discourteous to you. Yeah, you're like that to me all the time. <laughs> okay, then. Just thought I'd apologize for this one. <laughs> but you know what happens is you, you then walk away with a, with a clean conscience knowing you did the right thing. I missed it in first service last week, but I got it in second. It has to deal with that clean conscience piece. <clears throat> when our kids are little, uh, they still wear shoes now, but, but when they're little, we were always buying shoes and they're always growing. I mean, we were just buying shoes all the time. And there was a store that had a sale and it was a, a bunch of off and Wanda had collected some coupons and then she had some, some bucks from that store. I mean, she, oh my, God, she's, you know, she's a consumer science major. So she like, oh, she frosts at this kind of thing. She loves this. So, so anyway, I mean, we have five kids, it's a lot of shoes, and we need tennis shoes, dress shoes, casual shoes, play in the backyard shoes, you know, all kinds, then sandals, and well, I don't know why we don't buy them in threes, because we're going to lose one, but anyway, that's another topic, but, so she buys a whole bunch of shoes one night, and comes home, and we sit down, and, and I, and their, their kids are coming in, and they're, they're carrying bags, and bags, in with these shoes and opening boxes and I'm wondering are we gonna make a house payment this month or not you know you're kind of wondering that and she says I got this and I got 30% off then I got they scratch then I got another 10 and I had these bucks and then got 40 here and I go wow they're practically giving you the shoes I said what did you end up paying so she pulls out the register she reads it off she goes wait a minute and she goes I have 13 pair of shoes here but I only have 12 lines well, well, that's a great night then, honey. I mean, whoa, I mean, what are we talking here? She said, that's not right. I said, what do you mean that's not right? She said, well, I, 
somehow they missed, I, they missed, one didn't check out. So we go back through, back through, back through. You're right, this, this pair of shoes never got checked out. What are we going to do? She marched, she did not hesitate. She went over and picked up the phone. I went, oh, no, please, no. <laughs> Hello, she calls the store. Uh, I bought 13 pair of shoes, I only paid for 12. Yeah, so what's the problem? Okay, well, I need to pay for this other pair. Okay, uh, um, put you on hold. They put her on hold, sent her to the shoe department. Send her to, they'd send her down the hall to a manager, a junior manager, manager. Uh, after about three or four phone calls in lines, they don't know what to do with her because they've never had anybody actually turn themselves in because the register didn't ring it up right. People just go on their merry way, go and follow the law. Ain't, ain't the store grand. But instead, Wanda says, no, we need to get this right. I need to pay for these shoes. Finally, they, we get to the uppity, uppity, uppity manager and it's closing time by now. This is how long she's been on the phone. And he says, you know, we've never had anybody ever come back with something that got missed. And we don't really have a policy for this. So he says, I'll tell you what. Enjoy the pair of shoes. They're yours. They're just free. She hung up. She's just glowing. You know. <laughs> Didn't cost us a dime. You know what? We went to bed that night, not only with a free pair of shoes, but a clean conscience. Clean conscience. And that's worth a ton, isn't it? And so it is when you resolve the conflict, you take the initiative, it just resolves, even if it doesn't go exactly the way you would like. Just to know you gave it your best shot. You make the initiative, make the first move. Don't postpone it. Don't think, well, I'll pray about it, I'll, I'll put it off, and if it ever comes up again. No, it, it's just the nature of conflict that you don't want to deal with it. So you, you have to make the first move to get it done and get it done now and get it done right. The only way to resolve the conflict is to walk right in and say these four words. We need to talk. Don't you hate those? Uh-oh. We need to talk. Okay, it's time to raise your hands. Um, how many of you have fought in the car on your way to church? I didn't say put them down. Keep them up. <laughs> Keep them up. Look around. Look around. Look around. Doesn't this give you hope? Does that give you hope? It's the reason Wanda and I drive separately. <laughs> we can't fight because we're not talking to each other. Do you understand the spiritual warfare that's happening all the way from outfits to food to late night Saturday night to everything that gets you to into the parking lot and then you finally just, this kid needs Jesus, you know, and you're going to church, dang it, no matter what. And you may go to second service while we're at the Dunkin' Donuts too. You know, we may, we may leave you there for double dose. And, and then you walk in the door and a greeter greets you says, good morning. You say, hey, hi, hey. Boom, baby. <laughs> so we're thinking about hiring like counselors for in the parking lot. Just pull your brights on, we'll come right to you. You know, if it's blinkers, we'll know, oh, that's a specialty. That's a subgroup of marital issue. Deal with it now. Don't let, it, don't, don't let the sun go down. 
deal with it. Otherwise, you get distant, demanding, you get defensive. It just, you become weird after a while. And God will give you the spirit, not of timidity, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, not a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power and of love and a sound mind. You can think this through and talk this through. Make the first move. Number four, listen and then clarify and then listen some more. Listening validates the person. It shows that you value them. And when, you, when people feel that their dignity is lost or they're not heard or they're not valued, they get mad. It doesn't matter. It could be, it could be your marriage. It could be national borders. You understand this? It, it could be country against country. If they don't feel they're listened to, they're going to fight. They're going to bucket. They have to be valued. That's why, dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Why? Because that kind of anger doesn't bring out the righteous life that God desires. And see, if you don't have that righteous life, then there's no way you're going to have the peace. See, the righteousness will be gone. If you have a trigger to anger, this is going to make you want to flip. So you have to just say, okay, I'm going to listen, and then clarify again, and then listen some more. So do nothing out of selfish ambition, vain conceit, rather in humility... You value the other person. Value the other person. Verbalize your value of the other person. Don't look at just your own interest, but instead at the interest of others. So you have the same mindset that Christ had. It doesn't have to be all about you. It can be about them because ultimately it's going to be about Christ. So you have to intentionally switch the focus off of my needs, my stuff, to their needs, their stuff. And seek to be understanding. If you don't write anything else down, write this down. Seek to be understanding more than to be understood. Okay? That's the model of Jesus. And you have to hear them not only with their words, but with their heart. So you hear their angst, their fear, their pain, because it, it, otherwise if it's too rigid, you're just going word for word. Well, you said this word, and that means this. No, listen for their heart, because sometimes words have to untangle, don't they? Listen, clarify, listen some more. Number five, attack the problem, not the person. Get rid of all moral filth, evil that's so prevalent. Humbly plant, accept the word that's planted in you. Just get rid of the junk. Attack the problem. Not you bother me, but this is really, this activity, this event, this. See, if you say you bother me, that's them. That's the attack on them. Attack the problem, not the person. You used to walk in these ways, Colossians 3, when you once lived. But you, now you must rid yourself of anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Don't lie to each other since you've taken off the old self of this practice. It's like you take it off and you put on this new life in Christ, which is being renewed in the knowledge of the image of the creator. You, you, it's like you take that stuff off and you put on a new language. The words of the reckless, here's a proverb, Proverbs 12. The words of the reckless pierce like swords. You've had that happen, haven't you? But the tongue of the wise will bring healing. And if you want to destroy them, you could do that, right? I mean, verbally, you could destroy somebody. Some of us are very good at that. You have to add, God, put a guard on my mouth, put a trap on it. Because I, 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 I don't want my words to be reckless. I don't want it to be a sword. I want it to bring healing, not a wound. You're saying, well, I just want to tell it like it is. Yeah, the Bible has a word for that. It's called rude. And, and it doesn't solve anything, see? It really doesn't. So don't let unwholesome talk come from your mouth, but only what is helpful to building the others up according to their needs. You don't speak to your needs. You speak to their needs. That'll benefit 
Not yourself. I said talk, get it out of my system. No, to talk with the benefit of who's going to be listening to you. So attack the problem, not the person, and look for common ground of agreement. From Romans chapter 14, let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. Is this going to build up other people? Is this going to help? Look to that. Make every effort. Again, in Ephesians chapter 4, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. You have to find places of common bond. Build from that base. Don't give up a place that's right. Don't give up on righteousness with peace at any price. But, but don't allow yourself to go into the Cold War. Make sure you give yourself fully to this righteousness thing. So you make every effort, Hebrews chapter 12, to live in peace with everyone and be holy. For without holiness, no one will even see the Lord. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found blameless. See, the common phrase in all four of those passages I just read, it's, the phrase is, make every effort. Make every effort. You know what I find? Is that when we're in conflict, we don't make every effort. We skirt around it as much as we can. We gloss over it. We deny it. We don't want to deal with it. We don't give it our best energy, our best attention. And because of that, then when it does heal, it doesn't heal quite right. It's never quite right. We get in trouble then. And why do we get in trouble? Because we never fully engaged with the process. And if you're going to fully engage with the process, you're going to work at this. You have to find the common ground where you can agree and build from there, especially if it's a brother or sister in the Lord. And that means we just have to get rid of it. Since we're making every effort, that means we're going to get getting rid of weapons of mass destruction that, that are out of our mouths. See, when that happens, that, that just spews. And those words don't go away. People remember those just like a tape player. It comes right back. So number seven, focus on reconciliation, not resolution. By reconciliation, what we mean is this. It's to reestablish the relationship. I want the relationship. Resolution means every issue is solved. And you know what? You're going to have to sometimes agree to disagree. But you can agree to disagree without being disagreeable. Even if you can't agree to all the details, you can humble yourself and move forward and let go of the conflict for the sake of the relationship. You may have to learn when enough is enough and you genuinely look for people at people for the greater good for the sake of the of the relationship by this what's going to happen is this if you don't then everything is going to have to be your way all the time and that's a that's a compulsive perfectionism tendency is what that is and you have to kind of lighten up on that let that go a bit it's okay i've said it before but it's worth repeating it is more rewarding to resolve a conflict than it is to dissolve a relationship it is more rewarding to, dissolve, to resolve a conflict than it is to dissolve a relationship. When that's your posture in life, here's what's going to happen. You kind of know what peace is. It is the lack of conflict in the midst of righteousness. And we know the only one that can provide it is God himself through Christ, right? And now he gives to us that ministry. So, so we're the ministers, really, of reconciliation. And that leads me to this merit or the real bonus. You ready for the bonus? If you, because this is tough to do, to be a reconciler. It's really tough work. But if you're up for that, you know what's going to happen? Go back to verse 9 again. 
Blessed are the peacemakers, for they are going to be called, what will you be called? Tell me. The children of God. Okay, now, now if you trust Jesus, you're already a child of God, but nobody knows that. But when you're a peacemaker, when you're out rebuilding relationships, you're finding ways to make it right, people will say, there goes a child of God. And it's not because you carry a large annotated Bible under your arm. It's because you are out to rebuild relationships because the world is so conflicted. See? They can, the world is so conflicted, you can't even, in your office, you can't even agree on the brand of coffee in the break room. Right? That's how conflicted it is. We're so conflicted as a people that we, we can't get along. And when, as soon as we do, someone changes their mind just to create conflict. When you are the peacemaker, people will know you to be a child of God because it, it, our world is so totally immersed in, this, in the pain of strife. You will be, where you are, an island of peace. People will actually be attracted to you because there's a sense of peace about you. Not that they, you always get it right. Not a compulsive perfectionism. Not that at all. But there's a sense of a lack of conflict. You're not conflicted, and you tend to lean in towards righteousness. And you bring out the best in others. You find the common ground in other people. You listen, and you validate people. People will love that. And when you win them to you, then you can win them to Jesus. See? That's just how attractive this gospel really is. And when you do that, you are reflecting what God has done in you and and what he's done in you is he's made you right in Jesus Christ. And now you're modeling the behavior of Christ. And now you are that first word in that verse, blessed. Blessed. What a way to live. Amen? Let's bow for prayer. Why don't you stand as we pray and just want to take a moment. And you may not know Christ as your personal Savior, but you'd, you'd say, you know what? I am so conflicted and I see that Christ could be my righteousness and my truth. I need that. I need Christ in my life. Then you welcome him into your life now. In your own prayer before you and God, you just tell God, God, I, I know I'm a sinner. I, I am so conflicted. But I need Christ in my life to not only forgive me, but to give me hope and to give me help. You welcome him into your life, but for many of us in the room, this is hard work, this peacemaking stuff. So God, we're up for the challenge, hearing your word, and we, we could make the difference in others' lives, but we're up for the work. Please give us a kind of a spirit to take on the challenge and to take it well. Because you've paved the way and we know that it's possible. So give us the courage and the strength and the character of soul to do it the patience and the wisdom that we desperately need. For we want to live out the blessing that you want for our lives, and we know our lives will be blessed when we are peacemakers. We are your children, and we want to bless you back. May we be the peacemakers, we pray, in the name of Christ, the peacemaker himself. In the name of Christ, our Savior. The church says amen.